everyone. All right, here we are. We are back an hour later than I was supposed to because I totally screwed up. And, you know, I was going to have a trio of therapists today. But because of my mistake, I still have a dynamic duo. So let's just jump right in. Let's have some fun. Here we go. Let's rock and roll. Practicing polyamory. Real life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life, flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. So, because of my mistake, I didn't even give our guests the opportunity to know what's coming up. So this is all going to be a surprise for them, unless you've actually tuned in and listened. Uh, in which case, you know that I have to welcome everybody to this beautiful day. And before we jump in with our guests, I want to quickly remind everybody that we are open for questions. If you have questions about your relationships, or if there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on the show, slide into my DMs. Follow us on all social media platforms, especially Facebook and Instagram. That's where I'm most active, at Practicing Polyay, and send me a message. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, wherever it is that you download the podcast. And remember, this show is recorded live. Join us for the live recording, and you can get your questions answered right here on the podcast. Check this out. One second. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Boom. See? Ask a question. Get your answer live on the show. Okay, and as always, I want to remind everybody, if you're listening to this podcast, you are a welcome guest to be on the show. We're here to share stories, and I want to get as many voices as possible to speak here because I know that the more stories we hear, the more representation the more representation we'll have, the more others will see us in themselves, and the more we can strengthen our community. So go to practicingpolyamory.com and sign up today. All right. Even though we're going to be running short on time, I still have to give that spiel, and of course, I have to do the best part of the show, which is... Introducing our awesome guests. Everybody, today we've got a duo of polyaffirming therapists who both agree on at least one thing. There is a glaring need for more polyaffirmative therapists, counselors, and mental health providers. It's a funny thing for me, seeing as I've interviewed 50 or 60 of them here on the show, but believe it or not, polyaffirming therapists are the minority in the industry. I'm lucky enough today to be joined by two of them, and with their combined knowledge, specialties, experiences, and disciplines, they can cover just about any topic we can throw at them. So if you all have questions, leave a comment because, because today is the day to ask. Joining us today from Making Space, Psychotherapy, and Healthy Synergy LLC, both out of Arizona, welcome to our guests, a dynamic duo of therapists, James Rodis and Jess Fletcher, one second. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Hi. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm, uh, higher energy than usual because, uh, we are in a little bit of a time crunch because of, you know, my little mess up here. So uh, we're going to be five minutes shorter than usual. We're going to be going till 55 on the dot. And even if I have to, you know, let y'all go before we, uh, you know, whatever. Anyway, I appreciate you hanging out with me, spending some time. Tell me a little bit about yourselves and uh, this, this practice, what you do and uh, what, why? Uh, let's start with you, man with the awesome name, James. Uh, let's start with you and tell me, what inspired you to become a therapist and specifically talk with polyamorous and non-monogamous folks? 
Yeah, so I I have wanted to be a therapist most of my life. Um, I think that it is so important to provide care and support for people that is without judgment. And I not only do I work with people in the poly community, I also work with kink practitioners and LGBTQ folks. Um, and on some level, there, there's something of a big tent there and a lot mm -hmm. of overlap. Um, and so I didn't start out working with, with poly people. I started working at, with, uh, with LGBTQ folks and kink folks. Um, mm -hmm. And I saw there's, there's a big need here to be supportive to people in the community to be able to provide a non-judgmental holding space. Um, which has turned into me educating myself, getting additional training, providing training some of the time for other therapists. Um, I just, yeah, I'm here because I want to get the word out and talk about like how to get an affirming provider <laughs> because they're nice. a little thin on the ground. For sure. For sure. What about you, Jess? Uh, what inspired you to be a therapist and what brings you onto the show today? Yeah. So um, unlike James, I actually uh, didn't want to be a therapist for most of um, <laughs> my initial kind of planning for career and was going really the writing route. Um, but I uh, had feedback that in a lot of my stories, it was always about connection and being a safe holding space for others. And really, it always was a passion area. It was just learning how to do it in a way that was really thoughtful and safe for me as well as the people I was working with. And that really became then the foundation for the type of therapist I wanted to be. And also how I got involved with um, very similar communities that James mentioned too. So first really um, working um, with a lot of uh, folk in the LGBT community, and then really through knowing James, being able to really expand that to uh, poly and kink communities as well. Um, and I've always just kind of liked to go in places where other people hadn't gone. Um, and so that includes I've um, volunteered in prisons and just want to be in spaces where a lot of other providers have been like, oh, I don't I don't do that. And I say, well, but what's going on? Wh why is that like the case? What would it be like to think about um, uh, being a provider that's there and supportive for whoever is coming and, and needing that uh, true um, uh, safe space? So mm -hmm. that's a little bit about me. Yeah, it sounds like you are... Uh are trying to be uh, an advocate and an ally for marginalized communities. Um, and I think that that's definitely important, especially in our spaces, you know, polyam spaces. There's polyamory itself is, I guess, marginalized. I, I'll, I'll use that. Um, yeah. Definitely is. Uh, in fact, I, I was just kind of re-going through some, some clips today, and uh, there's an organization I was remembering that is looking for marginalized stories, discriminatory stories to try and make things better. But um, anyway, that's off topic. Okay. So one of the cool things that you all sent to me uh, was that polyamory is a site of trauma healing. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience with polyamory and why it's such a centerpiece for healing past traumas? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I am fundamentally a trauma therapist, and I think I, I look for trauma. I look for wounded attachment 
Um, and I, I think that that happens for for any number of people, regardless of their relationship style. Um, but poly folks play on hard mode, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, there are so many relationship dynamics. There's so many factors related to am I lovable, right? Will mm -hmm. this person care about me when they have alternatives? Um, and so I think it's a good site for trauma work because people's attachment trauma comes up, right? right. It has to be dealt with or it's not possible to be a, a healthy partner, to be in these relationship systems, these polycules where everyone has needs, right? But they can't rely on someone else to make them feel safe, right? So that poly is a great opportunity to build internal safety, mm -hmm. build a sense of, of value in yourself so that you're not looking to your primary partner or whatever to make you feel safe, right? That you feel safe in yourself so that you feel safe when maybe they're not at home that night, mm -hmm. right? You still feel safe even when they are struggling in the relationship with you or with another person that to carry that safety with you, you can treat your partners as people instead of like safety dispensers. Um, and so I do a lot of trauma work with individual patients so that they can do poly in a way that feels right to them instead of in like a controlling way or mm -hmm. an avoidant way um, so that they can feel good about their poly values, their poly orientations without needing to um, work around their fear, right? They can work with it and then do what feels right for them. Oh, gotcha. It sounds to me, it sounds to me like you're saying that uh, polyamory really helps people become more self-sufficient mm -hmm. and uh, be able to, to to hold that space for themselves. And but it, it's it's a funny thing when you say that because a lot of times people uh, look to polyamory to fill different needs mm -hmm. from different people. Right. So um, it seems kind of contradictory to me. What do you think? Do you want to take that one, Jess? Yeah. So so I think it's a great question. And oftentimes this is a really great um, space to be talking about like dependency style, like on a continuum. So whether um, if we have like a continuum here on one side being in codependency, so really believing you're responsible for another person's needs, emotions, and vice versa to counter dependency so um, that it's not needed and can be completely um, on one's own to really this middle space being interdependency, the space in which we can have both, um, which is ultimately what secure and safe attachment means is that we can mm -hmm. be uh, kind to ourselves and recognizing what's ours and what's not ours. So, so in a lot of ways, um, navigating polyamory can be a space to talk through, well, what is um, my, what are my internal boundaries? What are things that I'm responsible for? And how can I meet that with compassion? But also how can I diversify my support needs? Also recognizing that each person has their own sense of internal boundaries and capacity too. So in a lot of ways, that's where it becomes this both and, is it becomes a space to um, uh, 
still recognize what can I what can I truly provide at a given space and time? What can another person without putting expectations on either person that's not realistic? Um, and that would be the the way of really meeting in the middle. Did that make sense first of all? Because I know that was a lot of Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. And and I was I was trying to visualize that scale that you're yeah. talking about. And uh I like that word interdependency. I'm imagining, you know, on the one side of the scale is the very codependent, like latching on, clingy, can't live without you. Uh and then on the other side is the person that's like, no, every single person is at least arm's distance yeah. away from me. Yep. Um and so having something kind of in the middle is the basis of secure attachment where you're where a person can be comfortable when their partner is away and also when the partner is there and you know comfortable on our own mm -hmm. would you say so so th this makes me think of, of the word solo polyamory right mm -hmm. which is kind mm -hmm. of a, a popularizing term i think uh in in polyamory maybe it's because 70 percent of people practicing polyamory are women and uh, they it, it, women are uh, finding this freedom in polyamory. And a lot of, you know, a lot of what I've read, a lot of what I see is, you know, more successful women uh, who have their own income and can very much manage on their own. Um, so trying to think of where I'm going with this. Like that's, that's just an interesting point. And, and uh, I wonder if the data maybe is skewed because so much of the population is women. What do you guys think about that? Hmm. What do y'all think about that? I don't know. I, there are definitely gender factors in poly and how people choose to engage in poly. And I think what comes up for me when you say that, that a lot of people who who are in the poly community are independent women, um, right? To practicing solo poly is that the more of your own needs that you can meet, the more freedom you have to choose what is right for you, right? Mm -hmm. That if someone is in a financially distressed situation, maybe their relationship doesn't look the way they'd like it to but they stay or don't make changes because they can afford to do something that is a better fit. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that gender and social justice and race issues come into that a lot because uh, real talk, the more privilege someone has, the more they're able to do what they want instead mm -hmm. of what they have to do to survive. Right. Um, so that comes up for me. Other thing that comes up for me with gender is that people of different gender socializations come to the table with different assumptions, right? And that the stereotype is that, you know, straight men would love to see all the women in the world and wouldn't it be great if they were all cool with it, right? But what it actually involves to be poly <laughs> requires giving up a sense of ownership over other people. And right, I think right. that when people are socialized to be entitled to others, that's really hard to do. It feels really threatening for someone 
to say this is out of my control this person is their own person i don't get a say um and i love them and i care about them and so let's do this however many people you're saying that to and about um i think that in some ways there's more flexibility for people socialized as women because there's less of that sense of entitlement to another person. I don't know. I'm curious what you have to say, Jess, because I don't want to like mansplain. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's great. That's great. Jess, hit yeah. us with it. Thoughts? Yeah, I um, I was just thinking even like kind of anecdotally too, like of what. Um, I tend to like see kind of come into the therapy office as well. And it's been a mix. I think it's definitely been, um, you know, I'll see individuals who are coming in and um, whether they're uh, women identifying, male identifying, non-binary, um, there's been a lot of different, um, a mix. But one thing I have noticed is a lot more situations in which there's been uh, couples who have been leaving churches and then opening up their marriage and then kind of exploring polyamory. So I've actually seen that more anecdotally than, than probably something with gender um, and really having to navigate so many intersections there as uh, James was saying too um, about, well, what have been the things that I each, each maybe partner in a marriage that's coming from a religious um, heterosexual heteronormative space um, to, well, how do I feel about relationships in general. So that is definitely something that that's been part of that process too. Um, Interesting. I, I think another piece that comes up for me is thinking about um, like the mental load as well, like what people kind of put on a relationship and that definitely changing across um, gender identity experiences. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. I guess I'm yeah. not really seeing too much of a one way or another, but each person has their own constellation of factors that they're working through. That's going to be pretty layered and deep. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Um, you touched on identity, whether it's gender identity or being brought up in a religious household that becomes part of a person's identity became definitely part of my identity. And so in both senses, whether it's gender or religion, uh, we're challenging our identities. Um, now, I want to ask for some quick answers because I want to respect y'all's time. So uh, in just a couple of minutes, how does someone start to um, adjust when that core part of their identity, religion or gender, something like that, how do they start to adjust um, letting go of those identities, I guess? Who wants to go first? I, to me, it's it's less about needing to like let go of identity in order to be authentic, but more to integrate who you have been at different spaces in your life, what you have believed at different spaces, where those beliefs came from, and then being able to really actively choose, right? Did, did this identity, does it still feel like a good fit? 
right? Do these beliefs that I got from my church or pop culture or my family, do those really feel like mine? Or were they put on me and I thought that was the only option? Um, makes sense. And I, I think it plays I, out. I'm gonna, really I, I just want to cut you off so that I can get Jess's answer in here. Yeah, that way sure. we can make sure that we have enough time for both of you. Jess, what do you say? Yeah. Pretty, pretty similar. I think it's um, first checking in, what are the messages? What have been the things that you've heard and putting it all out there? And then after that, it's a, it's a mixed process probably of one, some grief, two, some compassion work of how they came to be and understanding and how we may have even adopted some of those things because it was needed for safety, uh, especially in like family systems um, and other relationship systems. And then really more of a values clarification of, well, what what do I still want to keep? Can I modify in a way that's more in line with my values? Um, do I want to explore and be in a space of, of understanding and discovering what else maybe feels more in line with my values? And then it's a lot of understanding. Um, um, how can I consistently do this process as a self-reflection throughout my life at any point in time as a constant uh, boundaries conversation, a constant uh, check-in. And that would be what I would say in any relationship system as well, is let's always keep reflecting back because that can change at any point, whether mm -hmm. that's in a monogamous relationship or a polyamorous relationship or um, for friendships too. For sure, for sure. Definitely, I, I gotta agree. It, it, it's a lot of self-reflection, a lot of, um, I think vulnerability definitely comes into that a lot uh vulnerable being being able to be vulnerable with myself and yeah. challenge myself in in the, the things that i'm thinking the things that i've been taught uh what i have identified with and what i want to um very cool i want to thank you both so much for uh spending some time with me uh before we head off i want to give you all an opportunity uh to tell us how if someone wants to work with you learn from you uh be a patient whatever how can someone get in touch with you let's start with you james so i am licensed in arizona i do telehealth so i can see anyone who who lives in the state of arizona um, you can find me on makingspacepsychotherapy.com. Um, that's the best place to contact me. I'm also on Psychology Today, uh, poly-friendly professionals, kink-aware professionals. So I'm, I'm sort of all over the internet. Um, I have availability in my caseload, so I'm, I'm happy to see people. And uh, I offer like 15-minute phone conversations just to see if we're a good fit. Um, I think that it's important to be in charge of your own care. And so I might not be a good fit for someone, but I'm definitely open to finding out. All right. And Jess, for yourself? Yeah. So um, our Instagram account for our practice is listed there. And then our website, um, www.createhealthysynergy.com. Um, I am also a licensed therapist in Arizona and am able to provide both uh, telehealth therapy as well as in office. Um, we are in Tempe. I am actually right now on a wait list, so I don't have immediate availability. Um, that being said, we do have a team of clinicians who are um, part of the practice, and so I'm able to provide support as well and working together as a group that wants to do advocacy in the, in the community, specifically with this population. So that's a little bit more about us. Perfect. Thank you. And uh, for everybody listening, that is Dr. 
Sophia Murphy, uh, S-O-P-H-I-A-M-U-R-P-H-Y. And that's on Instagram. Thank you both so much again for spending some time with me. Once again, I apologize for this, uh, you know, timing mistake. My bad. Uh, But uh, thank you to both of you. And thank you, as always, to our live audience for tuning in. As a reminder, when we're live, you get no commercial interruptions. But that's not true for those podcast downloads. So catch us every day, Monday through Wednesday. And this is why I messed up, because we're usually at 2.30. We're supposed to be at 1.30. Anyway, uh, or sign up for Patreon. You'll get access to our commercial-free RSS feed. Don't forget to support on YouTube, uh, wherever it is you to download the pod- podcast, if you haven't already. Thank you both, and thank you all again, as always. Have a nice day. Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at Patreon.